Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we again, we come to your throne and we cast ourselves at your feet because we have nowhere else to go, God. You and you alone have the words of life, God, and I pray that during this time we might drink of your living water, that we could find true life in you and in you alone, God. I pray that these words from your living word would Change our lives, God. That this would not be just another time when we come and sing and then go about our lives, but God, that you would show up, that your spirit would reveal himself in such a mighty way, God, that from this day forward, our lives are dramatically different. That we have lives that oriented not into ourselves, but into you and to your glory alone, God. Could you make that happen? Amen. Uh, One of the things that brings untold trouble upon myself is my innate inability to ask help from others. Um, Be it a haircut, I'll do it myself. And Christy, you don't even know this, but I actually cut my hair on Friday, not on Saturday. I guess I have to go to your place to get it fixed on Saturday to make it to church on Sunday. So I do do that, but I have a, a net. I don't jump without a net on that one. A fix a car, I'll do it myself. Re-roof the house, do it myself. But what a true, what a lie it is. What a lie it is when we, we turn inward, when we think, oh, we can do this all by ourselves. But no, what we see in our text this morning is a beautiful thing. We have a woman whose daughter is oppressed by a demon. We have the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. And what are they doing? Are they turning inward? No, my friends, they're turning outward and they're turning to Christ and to Christ alone. And so with that in mind, we we see the main driving force of where we're going to be heading in our text is that we, you, should come to Christ as God. Come to Christ as God. Don't turn within, but come to Christ as God. And be satisfied in Him. Where else are you going to go? Come to Christ as God and be satisfied in Him. In the first part, verses 21 through 28, we see that Jesus, why do you come to Him? Well, He reveals Himself to be God. Not only God, but God of the Canaanites. So He's God of the Canaanites there in the first section. And then verses 29 through through 31. He's not only God of the Canaanites, but He's God of the Hebrew people. He's God of Israel as well. But what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Well, we see that in the end then. Verses 32 through 39. You'll be satisfied in Christ when you come to Him. It's the main idea again. Come to Christ as God. Worship Him and be satisfied in Him and in Him alone. So with that in mind, let's come to this first section. Let's go back to the text here. We're going to read verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her. A word. 
And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt. She knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to to throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed and healed instantly. The sweltering land of Galilee is just as our frosted land that we have here. Some people hear the gospel of the kingdom and they believe. Other people hear the gospel of the kingdom and what do they do? They reject it. Jesus says, and earlier in this chapter, Adam was preaching on it last week, Jesus had just finished his discourse with the Pharisees. And what have they done? They know they have the oracles of God, but what do they have? They're going to reject God himself. And every aspect of his kingdom as well. So humility is rejected. Meekness is rejected. Loving your neighbor as yourself is rejected. Unless someone is looking, then you'll do it just for the fact that they're looking. But what will they do? Well, they'll keep the traditions. They'll keep the customs. And in hopes of salvation. And you see... By doing this, it would deny the very law that they were claiming that they kept. You see this that Adam was preaching on verse 6. By doing this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And that was where we're heading from. And now where we're going to is we're leaving the religious elites and we're coming down to the common people. And it's oddly enough that those whom society has left behind. It's those that culture has no place for. It's those people that come and they come flocking to Christ. The Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman, the lame, the blind, deaf, mute, the crippled and the mute. They come and they come to Christ in droves. We see here that in 21 that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre. Inside is because well, the Pharisees, remember, in the chapter, the Pharisees, what did they do? They went, they traveled 90 miles, five foot, 90 miles north from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee to oppress the ministry of Christ, to confront him. So that's why he's withdrawing and he's, he's leaving this, this heart of Israel and he's going up to the northern edges of Israel. And we know from Mark's account that he actually goes into a house and he doesn't want anybody to know. He just wants a break. He just wants to get away. But it doesn't take long for word to spread about this new rabbi with new teachings and all of these healings that are accompanying his message. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And those who God is drawing near to himself, they find a way. And they find a way to come to Christ. Thus this lady comes to him. Look at verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Do you notice the manner in which she comes to him? She's crying out to him. Crying out to him. She didn't get dressed up as you guys did to come to church. No, no, no. But she had what she needed. She had a heart prepared by God to encounter 
Christ. And this is actually one of the most interesting exchanges that that we have within the Gospels. She comes to him, and keep in mind the social implications. Here's a Jewish rabbi whose fame is spreading. He's staying in a Jewish home. And here a Canaanite comes to him. Not only a Canaanite, a Syrophoenician woman, she's a woman as well. So a Canaanite and a woman. And imagine the social implications of having a child who's demonically oppressed. It's hard having children in public. Imagine a demonically oppressed child in public. That's tough. Yes, she comes. She comes to Christ. She comes to encounter Christ. And why does she come to Him? Because in Him and in Him alone, she has hope. She comes and she... She comes crying out to me, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And then, when this broken, desperate Canaanite woman comes crying out to Christ, this is his answer. Silence. Silence. Perhaps you feel the same thing when you come crying out to God, but but just wait as she did. And the comforting words of Christ, they are sure to come. And then the disciples, they make themselves known, of course. Not seeing the heart in the matter, they see her as an obstacle rather than, than a perfect example of the kingdom of heaven coming here to earth. I don't know, they try to cast her aside to get to the real ministry, which is what, I don't know, if it's not her. But send her away, they say, for she is crying out after us. And then it gets a little more confusing here. Christ responds, and he presses her a little bit. And Christ responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then now first blush, this seems to be rather dismissive, but just keep in mind that it's not until that we see an Acts that the Gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Thankfully, right? As we're gathered here. The Gospel goes out to the Gentiles. But the earthly ministry of Christ was focused towards the Jewish people. The Jewish people, they have it first. It's to them that they have the laws and the oracles and the prophets. The Gospel comes to them first. They reject it and then it goes to the Gentiles. But undaunted. She presses in and she's no longer crying out at him, but what does she do? She goes even further and she, she kneels down before him. She comes and lays herself at his feet. They say, oh, okay, we, you're, you're sending it to the house of, of David. Well, that's fine. I won't. I'll just call you Lord. And she's leaving out the son of David. She just cries out, Lord, help me. And it's these most desperate of times that often bring the shortest of utterances and prayers. And Christ, He presses her, trying her faith. And He says, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Of course, the children being the Jews and the dogs being the Gentiles, this Canaanite women. And it, and it seems harsh, but we just remember He's pressing her faith. He's trying her faith. He's seeing if it's genuine or not. And the Jewish people, they were the children. Abraham, they were, they were called out 
But we were grafted in in this grand plan of God. And in the end here, we see that she has genuine faith. She says so beautifully, Yes, Lord, even the dogs, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Their master's table. Why did you come to me, he says. Why did you come to me? Because I can heal you. He said, no, no, no. I came to you because you're my master. To whom else am I going to go? Call me a dog, that's fine. You are my master. This was originally about her daughter, was it not? But soon, do you see the beauty in this? She reveals herself to be one of the children, not one of the dogs. Do you not see the beauty in all of this? She is a daughter of Abraham by faith. And so no, she's not under the table. She's actually feasting upon Christ and His goodness through faith. So He's pressing her, but her faith is genuine because she's not coming just for a healing. She's coming because He is Lord and He is her Master. So in the end, it's Christ is He's not outwitted. What wisdom does she have that was not given to Him, given to her by Him? It's not as though Christ is outwitted and he's forced to do this, but he rewards her genuine faith that she has. And without deliberation, without hesitation, without the slightest of doubts, he casts out the oppressive demon. And what does he do? Christ is revealing himself to be Lord, to be the Son of David, to be God. Even over the Canaanites. Even over the Canaanites. Just imagine, if you could, how long that silence seemed to be for this lady. But, as Matthew writes, but he did not answer her a word. Yep. Bound by faith and driven by hope, she continues to press into the Messiah. And in the midst of the seemingly eternal silence before God, you too are bound by faith and driven by hope to continue to besiege our King. If you're crying out and that's not enough, well then cast yourself at His feet as she did as well. For He too is your Master. He too is your God. Do you see the the two alternatives here? One that the cultural narrative will press out before you and one that Scripture gives you. The cultural narrative telling us to turn within, turn within with strength, and Scripture is telling, no, 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 don't look within, look outward, look somewhere else. Listen to culture. I am brave, I am bruised, I am whom I'm going to be, this is me. Look out, because here I come. I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared. I make no apologies. This is me. I, 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 me. When you're beaten down, you're oppressive, you turn within, don't you? That's what the Western culture, that's what will tell us. But we know that it's folly. You know that it's folly and that it cannot work. Why? Because we all die. To whom will you turn 
on your deathbed. If you can turn within, well then fine, heal yourself. But no one can. Great-grandparents, grandparents, parents pass away. So too will we. So too will our children. Yet we believe the lie. What paganism and what humanism can just roll off our tongues. And we don't even know it. Sure, we don't, we don't, we're not crude. We don't build idols and clad them with silver and gold and bow down to them. No, 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 I would say it's much worse, friends. We just bow down to ourselves. It's much worse. Now, what does scripture have before us? Not looking to ourselves, my friends. No, 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 no. In the midst of your weaknesses, you're crying out. You're not looking in yourself or your own strength, but you're looking to one another. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. God is our strength and refuge, the very present help in trouble. Here's the difference between I am me. This is who I am. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence. Imagine this Canaanite woman. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone, not me, not me, not me. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For He alone is my rock and my salvation. Friends, turn to Christ as God and worship Him. Don't look within in the midst of suffering, whatever might be happening. Don't look within. It's a valley of sorrow and death. And it's a well-worn path that leads us to further misery and despair. But you think you have hope because you're relying on yourself. No, no, no. There's only one place of hope, and that is crying out to God. And in the midst of silence before God, casting yourself at His feet. For He alone is our rock and our salvation. Don't look within, friends, but look to Christ and to Christ alone. I hope that you are beginning to see that. You see that? That the Christ is the God of Canaanites. And now we'll see how He reveals Himself as He comes back to the Sea of Galilee. Let's go back to the text here as we read verses 29 through 31. Verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And He went up on a mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to Him, bringing them the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, and many others. And they were put and put them at His feet and He healed them. So that, so that, the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So our Messiah, he was in the northern edges of the outskirts of Israel. Now he's come back inland a little bit more into the more Jewish territory. He's around the Sea of Galilee. And what do we see every time he's around the Sea of Galilee, walking along the shores by himself? Soon enough, a crowd gathers about him. And it wasn't just those who couldn't come to him, but it was actually those who could not come to him. They were brought to him. The blame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute. And in their brokenness, in their humility, in their weakness, they find themselves at the feet of their Messiah. 
And what do you think was the result? You want to turn inward, you know the result. What do you think is the result when they cast themselves at the feet of their Messiah? An inability of Christ to undo the effects of the fall? No. Are they stuck in a world that is just set upon its course and they can't do anything about it? No. The same result as if it was you laying at the feet of Christ. There's healing. There's healing. And it's not just the bandaging of wounds, but more importantly, it's balm for your soul. And you see here, they have this balm for their soul and they're made well. And what is the end result of all of this? Look at verse, the end of verse 31. And they glorified the God of Israel. So don't you see that the main mark of the movements of God, of the movements of the Spirit of God, are not just simply the mute speaking and the crippled walking, the blind seeing and the lame walking, but rather it is His lost people who are now redeemed, raising and praising the name of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. That is the mark of movement of God. So you can have healing, sure, but healings in and of themselves are rather shallow. But when you have a host of people who have been redeemed by their God, worshiping Him and glorifying the God of Israel, well then you got yourself something. And this isn't just the only time this happens. Remember in Mark 9, Jesus is, is brought a paralytic and he heals his sins. And in order to show that he has the authority to heal his sins, he actually heals them as well. And he picks, he says, rise, pick up your mat and go home. In verse 7, and he rose up and he went home. Verse 8 here, chapter 9. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So healing was not just for the sake of healing, but it was healing for the sake of the glory of God. You see this in Luke 13 as well, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he sees a woman while he's teaching in one of the synagogues. And he asked for her to, to come over. And he said, woman, do you, do you want to be freed from your disability? And he lays his hands on her and immediately she's healed. And she glorified God. It wasn't healing just for the sake of healing. Then later on in Luke, he's near Jericho. There's a blind man beside the roadside. Jesus asked for him to be brought to him as well. And he says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Do you see where all of this ends up? And to the glory of God and the glory of God alone, that is a beautiful thing to behold, my friends. And we see this in Acts as well that we're covering during Sunday school. There was a beggar there asking for money. Peter gives the marvelous response of silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And he does. And then there's this turmoil in the temple with the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the Sadducees because they go, what? What is this movement of God? Why are people being healed? And they say, by what power is this done? This deed done? And Peter responds, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Christ crucified, Christ crucified is their call. 
whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. And what is the end result of all of this? They were all glorifying their God for what had happened. And all of this is happening, not only for the welfare of men, but we must not think so highly of ourselves. All of this is building unto the glory and to the glory of God alone. So you must never think of yourselves as the purpose for which things are happening. When we come into, when we come to a God and we have a daughter who is depressed by a demon or we're lame or blind or crippled or we're mute, whatever it must be, friends, our prayers must be seasoned with the visions of the glory of God. God, take away my struggles with same-sex attraction that you might be glorified. God, Heal my son's disease that you might be glorified, God. God, could you restore my marriage that was once warm and is now cold so that you could be glorified and you alone? This is the gospel, my friends. This is the gospel and and the the whole narrative of Scripture that we see from beginning to end. And yes, God sent His Son, born of a virgin, to redeem us from sin. But why did He do it? We have this sin and we we deserve death and we deserve hell. But why did He do this? He did all of this that God might have a redeemed people worshiping Him and glorifying Him forever. So even our salvation, not only these healings, but even your salvation itself is unto the glory of God. It is never about you. Sure, you might be healed, but it's unto the glory of God. Sure, you might be saved, but it's unto the glory of God. So we call this, this call goes out to to repent and to repent and repent of your sin. And in the midst of that, when you, you cry out to Christ as your Savior, and in the midst of the silence, you cast yourself as His feet, you come to Him and you find rest into the glory of God. So we've seen that Christ, he's, he's the God of the Canaanites. He's all, not only that, but he, he's, he has this group and they said, and they glorified the God of Israel. He's the God of Canaanites. He's the God of Israel. But what are we to do? How can, what does that mean? Well, we'll see how the nations and we as well are satisfied in Him and in Him alone. Let's go back to the text, verses 32 through 39. And Jesus called His disciples to Him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been now with me now for three days and have had nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they took up the seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. 
And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And I won't belabor this point much, and we'll wrap it up soon, because this story greatly parallels the feeding of the 5,000, but in their differences, this is where we find the true meaning and the beauty of what is being said. So at the conclusion of part of the Galilean ministry, Christ is he's among the Jews, and he's feeding them, and he's feeding the 5,000, and there's 12 baskets left over, 12 tribes. So the Hebrew people come to Christ, and they feed upon him. Now you have a, a, a Canaanite, a, a Gentile crowd with him. He's in the city of Decapolis. Some Jews, but primarily Gentile there. He's concluding this ministry. And he's feeding them, and he's feeding the 4,000. And there's seven baskets, 12 people left, 12 baskets for the 12 nations for the Jewish people, seven baskets for the seven nations that you see in Deuteronomy 7. These seven nations are referenced again in Acts 13. And you see that it's not only the Jewish people, but also the Gentiles that come to Christ and they are satisfied in Him. Jesus Christ is the bread of life, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles as well. They come to Him, and they turn to Him, and they are satisfied. Blessed are those, He says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Only two other places you see this. Feeding of the 5,000. They follow Him and they hunger for Him. And they're hungry because they're hungry for righteousness. They're following Him and they're satisfied. It's used one other time. You have the 4,000. They're hungry and they're thirsting for righteousness. And they're hungry and they're thirsting. And they eat upon the bread of life and they are satisfied and they're satisfied in Christ alone. So what do we do? We repent, 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 and we turn to Christ and to Christ alone that we might be satisfied in Christ. We don't turn with them, but guys, we turn without and we look outward to Christ and to Him we find life and in Him we find satisfaction alone. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for sending Your Son, God. How easy it is for us to to try to do all of this ourselves, but God, I pray that You would give us the humility to not look to ourselves, but to look to Your Son and to exalt Him and raise Him high and see Him high and lifted up. God, I pray that You would give us soft hearts to worship Your Son, God. That we would come to Him, that we come crying to Him, that we would Throw ourselves at His feet, God, and I pray that in You and in You alone we would be satisfied. God, we thank You for Your Son. He's dying on the cross. What a beautiful, glorious thing. God, I pray that our worship will soon be forever beholding Your Son as He is high and lifted up. God, I pray that this these days would be the beginning of just exalting Your Son, not only now, but throughout eternity, as we see Him face to face. Amen.